Welcome to the latest episode of VM Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Joining me today is Columbia Threadneedle's Head of Responsible Emerging Market Equities, Gorchay Bullet. I started by asking Gorchay his thoughts on what responsible investing actually means before moving to the shift in philosophy within his fund from finding companies which do no harm to then finding companies that actually provide to society. Responsible investing for us means is that, especially in emerging markets, and they're kind of intertwined more or less, is 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 there are certain aspects in emerging markets that's just not, um, that that's just does where you have gaps in the society or the, from an environmental perspective, where we believe the companies can fulfill those gaps, whether through operations or whether through the products that they produce. Um, as you might know, in certain countries, safety net both for the citizens of that nation, but also for various. Um, financial crises etc it, it doesn't often exist uh, whether in healthcare whether it's in financial inclusion etc so companies providing those safety nets and doing it in a way where they also generate profitable returns for shareholders uh, rule of law of course tends to be also um, not always fairly straightforward we're talking about 27 different countries oftentimes run in a way that is not fully democratic or have a strong rule of law established within them. So understanding those dynamics and making sure that we protect our clients' capital in a way and we allocate with people who we feel are, are conducting themselves in that society with very high degree of integrity. Um, inequality is another issue. Climate change and, and climate mitigate, change mitigation is another challenge. So there are various challenges in place. So the way we think about it is basically we want to find companies that contribute positively to the society and 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 the and and the environment. And clearly, this is not a black and white thing. Companies are very very subjective. So it's basically backed by various analysis and and thoughts and discussions and debates internally on how, how what that company fulfills, what need does it fulfill, how does it fulfill. And what are some of the alternatives that kind of leads us to what a responsible company might be in our universe? So responsible investing, as opposed to what we understand to be impactful investing or sustainable investing, responsible investing is searching for companies that are either filling a gap where maybe an emerging market government isn't providing services. Is it to help solve environmental issues or the more disproportionate way in which emerging market countries, say, are impacted by you know, climate change and environmental issues. Is it companies merely operating kind of adjacent to these issues as a part, as opposed to being part of the problem, but operating mm -hmm. in what you view as a responsible way? Is there a difference here? I'm just trying to get to the kind of the, the nitty gritty of yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 honestly, there's no difference. I think the way I view it is, I, I, and I, I I also, I mean, I know there's various studies, et cetera, that try to put things in boxes, but actually the portfolio kind of ranges from all those three areas you just highlighted. So we have both areas where, especially from access to education, access to financial inclusion companies that fulfill those needs in, in, in certain countries across emerging markets. We have companies that are doing no harm i guess what you were you were highlighting um as well the companies that are just doing good business with good business practices and providing products that are healthy and sustainable for the wider society or the environment and also there are companies that are also solution providers as well who are kind of in the forefront of ev evolution or or, or some of the solar or wind um, energy plans that we see and providing various um, equipment, etc., to those projects. So it's a bit of a combination of all of those aspects, really, that we, we're trying to um, identify across the portfolios. Within that, of course, we want to make sure the, the companies adhere to high standards, which we deem as quality businesses. But nevertheless, I think 
it covers all three aspects. I'm interested. So when you're looking at, you know, building out the portfolio, are there conversations around, okay, we need to have a balanced, how do you kind of work out how to have that blend? Or is there a percentage mix between companies that simply do no harm and those that actually act as solution providers? Yeah, so just, yeah, so going back in time, I think when, so the strategy, I'm just going to give a bit of background. So the strategy goes back to 2010, and, and initially it was one of the pioneers in the industry from an emerging markets responsible perspective, where back at those days, there was a lot of degree of skepticism around this kind of strategies. Um, and clearly that has changed today. And initially, of course, at the early years when during our learning period, uh, it's still we're still learning, but the, during those periods, it was very much kind of do no harm was the main, I think, theme or main kind of overarching approach to the to, 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 to the strategy. But over the years, I think we have evolved and very much so in the direction of finding uh, businesses that are both good businesses, but also in areas where we see there's significant structural tailwinds in the way they conduct themselves or type of products that they provide to the society, where we, we believe that certain industries, certain sectors, certain companies, of course, over time will disappear or need to reinvent their business model. And there are also certain sectors and segments where we feel have positioned well to benefit from various themes, trends that 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 emerging markets offer. So I think we're we move much more towards that that aspect of the spectrum over the years. And that's very much our focus, finding those businesses. And part of it is also because I think um, some of those businesses where you didn't have enough capital to either see them in, in the stock markets or or there wasn't enough capital pursuing those kind of opportunities. But also there was there, a lot of these businesses were to some degree were unproven or, or operating in different areas, adjacent areas, which they kind of evolved over time and managed to build successful franchises out of it. Um, so, 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 so from that perspective, I think the investment set also changed in that period as well. And I'm interested, what kind of thinking has guided that sort of shift in the fund's philosophy, as you've just described it? Is it a realization of the worsening of, of you know, the, the, the kind of the real serious impact of environmental issues and, you know, societal issues? You know, yeah, or, I mean, or it was is it kind of a, a realization that there's huge opportunities in companies looking to provide solutions to this, or a little bit of both? Like, what guided that that shift in 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 focus? I'm going to say a little bit of both. And part of the reasons, I guess, is because we start asking our questions. So what, so, and also this is in very much in collaboration with our clients and, and, and some of our clients keeping us on our toes is basically what is the purpose of the capital that we have and how do we want to allocate it? Um, and, and what do we want out of this capital allocation decisions that we make? Um, and, 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 and that kind of helped us shape those discussions and shape the structure of the fund and type of companies that we invest in. Um, but, but, but most importantly, I think it's, it's that thinking about, Hey, you know, especially in emerging markets, some of these challenges and issues are very, very real. Um, and, and, and we want to make sure that each and every incremental capital that we have goes to businesses. We feel are solving some of those challenges. 
um, and, and, and in the way they operate or the kind of products they provide. So there's that thinking behind it. And some of it, as you rightly highlighted, I think the, the opportunity set has also increased. I mean, you see more and more companies pivoting that way. Within that, of course, you have the issue of greenwashing, uh, but that's a separate conversation. But, but, but so it's basically kind of figuring out who is genuinely doing the improvement in those respective societies. That's interesting, greenwashing, because I know that greenwashing is far more prevalent than anyone would like it to be or wish it to be. How do you assess who's doing greenwashing and who's actually providing the solutions? What what kind of, you know, um, research or, or conversations or analysis goes into, that feels very tricky to me, how, you know, how to actually differentiate between a genuine pledge and action and a bit of greenwashing. And, mm-hmm. you know, without giving any you know names that you can't give away maybe an example of one time that you highlighted greenwashing yeah i mean so there are a couple of things in terms of the greenwashing we see is is is, is i mean you see this today in, in certain sectors certain industries where the amount of of, of i mean let's just take the the, the 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 climate change as an example i think um within climate change of course there are various aspects that are important um, and 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 what, what what is for us is important as as has been historically and 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 more more, more recent so is is around scope three emissions for example a lot of businesses they 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 showcase themselves sh- showing that hey we have amazing um, scope one and two emissions but vast majority of the issue is on the scope three um, this is true for for especially say for example certain retailers etc in certain parts of the world who have to some degree have dismissed that aspect of what's happening further down the supply chains. Just for anyone who's not on top of, you know, scope one, two, and three, what what is the importance of of the you know differentiating between scope two and three, as you just said? Yeah, so scope one and two are direct emissions. Most of, most of so this could be through the kind of the products that the company sells. So it's, if it's a supermarket, for example, it's the it's the lights, it's the energy, it's the it's, it's it's the kind of the energy that goes between transporting goods from the distribution center into the stores, et cetera, or direct through what's happening in the store itself, um, whether it's heating the stores or using air conditioning, whatnot. Scope three is more what's happening in the in the kind of the products that this company would be selling. So for example, if this specific company is sourcing beef from Brazil, um, and, 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 you know, and, and there's a significant emissions associated with what's happening with the whole cattle supply chain, et cetera, and, and deforestation that comes with it. That is often not accounted. It's very difficult to account for as well. Um, but nevertheless, it is a significant consideration because when you buy that piece of meat, it's not just the, the energy consumption of the store that matters, but actually how, where it's been sourced and how much uh, kind of um, emissions that has been emitted to transport that. So that's the kind of the scope three aspect that in, a, in our view is, is, is very, very significant and very, very important um, to understand in terms of if you want to be very genuine about, I think, greenwashing, that is something one needs to consider when you're looking at a business. And equally, if you take, I mean, financials is a big example, which is a big component of the emerging market benchmark, is, 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 is it's not so much about what's happening in the branches or the headquarters or how much paper they're saving, but actually how they're allocating 
um, you know, what kind of loans they're giving out to. So they could save as much paper as they want, but if, if say 10%, 20% of their loan book is to um, coal plants or coal plant operators uh, and to fund their new projects and whatnot and, and mining that comes with it and so forth. I mean, that again is a very high degree of greenwashing where you see, you know, they say one thing, but if you look at their net emissions in a fair and as, as fair as it can be perspective, you would see substantial um, imbalance Mm -hmm. and probably a degree of untruth or, I guess, misleading information that is being provided to you. You know, as you know, the European Commission are now launching a consultation into, you know, um, how, how these how these funds should be labelled and, you know, to, to get the, you know, the, the, the asset management community's view on it. From your perspective, as a responsible, you know, um, EM manager, when it comes to you know, the labeling and, and of Article 8 and 9 funds and ESG regulation as a whole. I mean, what do you what do you think needs to change or what are you hoping an outcome? What do you think the most hopeful, useful outcome would be? Yeah, I think, I mean, and from my perspective, I think, I mean, we welcome regulation. I think it's good that there is some regulators have started to look between different claims and being able to back those claims with tangible evidence. Um, so I think that 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 is very very important, and I think that hopefully eliminates some of that greenwashing because it was a bit of a everyone was running to become those kind of titles, etc., so that they could showcase their sustainability credentials. So I think from that perspective is very positive. But I think there is also in investing, unfortunately, it's not never black and white. So people want to measure things that might not be very easily measurable, or it could be multifaceted. So there are various nuances that one needs to consider. I mean, you mentioned the word impact earlier in the conversation. I mean, from an impact management perspective, the single most important stakeholder would be the person you're genuinely trying to impact, which is the 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 the, the person who the product is going to impact or influence their livelihood. Um, so, but nevertheless, there's so many stakeholders in, involved in that process that one needs to understand. So, regulation is a good thing, but I think there has to be leeways for various individuals to be able to express their viewpoints when it comes to. What, what 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 means to be sustainable and so forth and it's a very similar to quality investing there's a lot of quality investors out there but the definition of quality can differentiate between significantly between one another so i think there has to be that leeway of freedom to provide that hey but but the key is to be able to showcase what they mean by responsible investing or sustainable investing etc and evidence it credibly uh, both to the regulator but also to their um ultimately there, who, 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 whomever they might be managing money on behalf of. And I suppose, you know, looking forward, you know, um, bearing all this in, in, in mind, do you think fund managers should be the ones tasked with labeling funds? Do you think that's the right approach? Do you think that's even fair? <laughs> uh, no, I think it should. I mean, there should be, there needs to be a consistent, I think, framework. There's the issue right now in Europe around different countries applying different things. I think there are certain uh, works in place to kind of make it more consistent across the board. So I think that's a good thing. Um, but with any exercise of kind of labeling and creating frameworks and so forth, it is going to be to high degree, you know, you have to do certain black and white aspects of it. Of course, I mean, I think certain aspects are not easy to measure as i mentioned so i think that just needs to be considered and 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 there needs to be some sort of a vetting that takes place um but there has to be some standards but there has to be some freedom to kind of 
interpret those standards and it should be done with i think an th independent third party rather than us ourselves regulating ourselves which which um so, oftentimes historically have not ended very well you know on the topic of not you know that this this risk of there being a lack of you know um renewable or responsible or sustainable you know equity investment pouring into emerging market countries you know what kind of conversations do you have within your team about the you know the risks yeah so we're in the process of doing a, a internal kind of research on on heat waves and how that's going to impact our companies as we speak i know that's been a topical conversation in, in the summer in particular as we've seen more and more kind of um, yes. unusual it's right, it's right in front of our eyes now you know we can't exactly exactly um but 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 we have also seen. I mean, I, a few years ago, I remember b b talking to one of our holdings uh, in India, and and they made the decision to to, to deploy capital and build a, um, a, a insulin um, manufacturing um, factory or insulin manufacturing plant. In in they were planning to do that in India, but because there were issues around kind of water scarcity, um, and and kind of India has, I think, has six seven percent of world's fresh water or underground water reserves versus consumption is a lot higher than that and probably going to be even higher as we go forward so they took the view that from a capital allocation perspective when they were going to build that plant water being a key ingredient in the way they were going to manufacture they decided to go for malaysia instead for example so we, we try to as much as we can make sure that the companies we invest in take these these considerations um into mind but at the same time you also see i mean china today is one of the largest renewable manufacturing countries in the world you have seen india very quickly building supply chains and various companies are investing in india's china plus one strategy that is taking place so i think in in many forms or shape you see emerging markets kind of leapfrogging some of the development challenges that we have had in, in in some of the more developed markets so from that perspective i'm, I'm actually quite optimistic in, in general about kind of finding solutions and and in in, in the face of adversity etc but it, as, as with anything it is going to take a while and it's going to be challenging um in in that period but there are various opportunities and i think our companies and not 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 just our companies, I mean, a few companies out there also are taking into these considerations and the way they deploy capital these days. So in one sense, when you're looking, when you're building a portfolio, you're looking at, so you're looking at companies and, and, and holdings in emerging market across the 27 emerging market countries. Mm -hmm. But also, I suppose, bearing that in mind, you must be considering the, you know, environmental climate and social issues that can affect the performance of all your holdings is, is, is yes. there is there this constant duality at play in your mind yeah that's that's spot on so it's not just enough with the products the total addressable market all these fairly commonly used terms the revenue pool the growth etc it's not just that we look for but it's the way the company operates and 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 i guess what we want to do is we want to compound our clients capital for the long term and and we want our businesses to be as resilient as possible to potentially new threats um, that is just beyond losing market share. What are the biggest threats that you have to now consider, you know, that face literal holdings, the literal companies, you know, themselves now? Yeah, I mean, so one of the, I mean, the, the the case of FPT is quite interesting because, I mean, one of the reasons why FPT has a has a, has a, has a, has an education business attached to it is is to kind of provide enough students who have been 
educated in science, technology, engineering, um, various IT related fields um, to be able to provide those services. Also languages as well. Japan is a big market for, for example, for FPT, Japanese speaking and Japan being fairly closed market, being, you know, having coming with an engineer who speaks Japanese counts very highly when you have in front of the clients and in order to do that that business have decided hey we're going to have an education business where we educate our engineers etc to be able to kind of cement our business much stronger so that when we're growing we don't have a bottleneck of 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 of, of credible workforce and this goes also i mean diversity and inclusion is another one clearly many societies for various historical reasons female participation in the workforce has been lower um, than the 50%, which should be on average. Um, but clearly in countries like India, I think that's even lower than 20%, for example. There again, we, we, we want our companies to make sure that there's a 50% talent pool that they're not taking advantage of, that they should be doing so in order to kind of both strengthen the, the, the ranks, if I may say, but also to make sure that, you know, you have different individuals from different backgrounds who might think differently and who can create different products based on different economic situations, et cetera. So those are some of the key aspects that are quite important overall. Then there are other smaller aspects around, um, you know, um, sustainable consumption, healthier foods, healthier kind of alternatives, because diabetes is a big problem. Uh, obesity is a big problem in emerging markets. We want companies who are helping find solution, not just providing insulin, but also providing healthier alternatives, addressing some of the issues such as food deserts in certain parts of emerging markets through operations, etc. So we just try to make sure that our companies are kind of, when it comes to solving problems, operate in a way they just strengthen their, that social license to operate and benefit from those very much tailwind that tailwinds that come with it with with basically being in the right place at the right time when it comes to kind of people shifting views and societies changing etc and yeah and, and so forth yeah that's fascinating and also i was reading about say how that you know the issue of even say plastic waste is such a detrimentally destructive force safe for you know communities and emerging markets I read something I think it was a Schroeder's report it was a Schroeder's report from about a year ago which said something along the lines of plastic waste account is responsible for the death of someone in an emerging market country every 30 seconds because of that mm. you know that the, the all the multitude of you know problems that come with that kind of plastic waste and all the toxicity that comes from it now such an enormous part of that comes from the consumption and the, the way that we live in the developed world. So mm -hmm. as an emerging markets responsible equity investor, you've got to have maybe one eye on what the developed, you know, holdings and, you know, the operations within the developed world is operating because of how impactful that is to emerging markets. I just think that's an awful lot. <laughs> and is, <laughs> is that part of the brief? Is that part of your daily job? Is that part of things you have to lobby, the conversations you have? Or are you solely trying to just focus on, right, we know that developed, you know, countries and that, you know, the manufacturing and the way that we consume in the developed world has this terrible impact on emerging markets, thereby and thereby are the holdings that we have. So how do you make that? How do you strike that balance? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's it's yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not. There's a lot of consideration that take. Are these things that you have to consider as part of your job? I suppose is what I'm asking. I'm I'm curious. 
I think for the strategy that we run specifically on clients' demands, yes. Um, and I think it's, it's it's also I think also if you take that um, long term view on these names, I think it kind of becomes inevitable because um, it's not so much the quarterly earnings, but it's actually the long term trajectory that you see how the product is influencing and 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 what's happening in those societies that is gonna you know either make a good investment case or or, or make a bad investment case. So so we're kind of in a privileged position in some ways because internally. Um, we have a very strong RI team, which is around 45 um, individuals who are very passionate about different areas. So it's very easy to come and kind of utilize their resources and have the conversations and learn how we can kind of adapt some of the more developed approaches to, to emerging markets. Um, but but also, I think it's also about around knowing our companies quite well, where they've been, where they're going, and understanding those local nuances, which comes with, of course, I mean, reading a lot um, across the board, but also traveling and seeing it in person from time to time as well. But I just want to touch upon, I mean, we, we don't just, I mean, we, we try to, when it comes to portfolio construction, we try to approach it a bit more holistically. So we don't just invest in companies that are directly listed and operate in emerging markets, for example, um, where... Yeah. We have we have a company called Geronimo Martins that's based out in Portugal, but it makes vast majority of its profits and revenues from uh, Poland and the second country is, is, is Colombia that they're exposed to. And this is a co company that has uh, gone from almost 15, 20 years ago, 0% market share to almost a third of the discount retail market in Poland. But one of the things they do very well is that they have a 40% of their revenues comes from their private label brand. And they're intentionally year after year, they cut down saturated fat, salt levels, sugar levels of their products. They intentionally give shorter credit or they pay much sooner uh, to smaller to mom and pop suppliers that supply to their stores rather than multinationals, which they might take three months, etc. And also during COVID, during global financial crisis, or even during the difficult years that Portugal had, they often um, help the employees and their spouses, etc., by giving them interest-free loans, etc., if they're going through financial difficulties and so forth. Now they're doing that partly because it. it you know, it, it gives them goodwill, but also because I think they want to, to to commit to these societies for, you know, for decades to come. And, yeah. and, and in order to do so, um, and, and then it becomes a circular thing because they become a trusted brand. They're there when, when these societies need them the most. They're already ahead in terms of doing lots of things to help them, whether from a product um, perspective, but also the way they conduct themselves. So it just becomes a good business decision, really, more than anything else. So, so when you say, for example, we need to take this into consideration, to be honest, like we do take this into consideration, but a lot of times also when we engage with our companies, talk to them or read their sustainability reports and whatnot, we're actually learning a lot of new ways of areas that actually these guys are doing an amazing job. I didn't know you could do this. And then we can take that to some of our other companies elsewhere, which might be a few steps behind and use that as a tool for them to kind of uh, leapfrog some of those developments to cement their position in their markets as a trusted entity um, more than anything else. I think that's actually quite a hopeful, uh, interesting note to, to leave things on. I feel, I so I just want to say thank you for your time. And I feel like every second or third point discussed in this almost deserved its own podcast. So I think, uh, yeah, if you're game, we should need to have you on again. So thank you so much. <laughs> You're too kind. Thank you very much.